I don't know why I do this to myself, but the passage that I've selected for this morning, I find to be one of the most arresting and one of the most convicting scriptures in the entire New Testament. If there are occasions where I imagine myself to be making some progress in the Christian faith, those thoughts cease whenever I come to Mark chapter 10, verses 35 to 45. It is here where I am reminded how I am prone to desire success in its various forms. And it is here where I am reminded that in order to be truly Christ-like, I must set aside these desires to become successful. And instead, I must endeavor to become a servant to others. And as I look at the text, the reality is I am a lot more like James and John, and less like Jesus than I would like to admit. It's true. Succeeding is important to me. Winning matters to me. Anyone who has ever watched me play hockey knows this to be the case. If you've ever played me at a game of tennis, you know that I would like to win. But I'm not alone, am I? We all want to win. We all want to succeed. And this doesn't change when we become adults. Even if you work in a competitive business market, you don't want to be bested by others. You don't want your competition to outperform you. Now, it's not that we wish ill on anyone, but if we're honest, we would admit that we would prefer the success of our competitors to fall slightly short of our own. Now, we can also talk about success in terms of one's status within society. You could argue that status is the assignment of a place in society based upon some level of success. So, we can talk about a person's status within society based on their last name, where they live, what kind of things they do for a living, who their parents were, and you assign a status. Now you've heard me say from this pulpit previously that I am struck in particular by the Bahamian fixation on titles and status. I am struck by how carefully we preserve protocol as it relates to recognizing certain individuals within public contexts. We may agree intellectually with the notion that every person is equal. But my observation is that we tend to carry on practically as though what really is the case is that there is a kind of pecking order in society. And with this pecking order come a variety of rules to guide us. But that's not just true here in the Bahamas. And that's not just a 21st century reality. In varying degrees, in every culture and in every age, there has been this concern with the issue of a person's status. And the people in Jesus' day were not exempt. 
In the text before us this morning, we see that even some who lived in close proximity to Jesus had an unhealthy desire for status and notoriety. Our passage begins with a particularly bold request from two of Jesus' closest friends, James and John. Mark tells us that the sons of Zebedee approach Jesus and say, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. That's an unusual question. I can just imagine myself going up to my wife Allie and saying, Allie, I need you to do whatever I ask. She would say, you've got to be kidding me. That's got to be the silliest question you've ever asked me. But Jesus does not seem bothered by their request. He actually responds by asking, well, what do you want me to do for you? First tell me what you want, and then I'll let you know if it's possible. And here's the particularly bold part. The brothers answer, let one of us sit on your right, and the other sit on your left in your glory, when you come into glory. And this is a phrase that anticipates a time when Jesus is king. And he's sitting on his throne as the ruler of his kingdom. James and John are essentially seeking top cabinet positions in this soon to be formed government. James and John are looking for status. They're looking for power. What they don't realize is that the kingdom of Christ will be ushered in through submission and through suffering. What they don't realize is that Christ becomes king not by laying claim to power, but by actually giving power up. Accordingly, Jesus says to James and John, you don't know what you are asking for. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? James and John did not understand the implications of their request. But rather than chide them, Jesus tells them they will share in the cup of his suffering. It won't be the cup of God's wrath, but it will be suffering that comes from their allegiance to Jesus. So Jesus doesn't chide them for this bold request, but you can imagine a bit of controversy emerges. You can imagine word gets back to the other ten. They ask for what? We've been doing all this and James and John went and asked for the left and the right side. There was great displeasure among the other twelve. They were greatly bothered by what happened, by what James and John had requested. Well then Jesus uses this emerging controversy to teach his followers, to, to teach those closest to him, how status is achieved in the kingdom of God. And how this contrasted with achieving status in society. And friends, this is our crossroad here today. You've been raised in a society that has taught you to pursue status following a particular road. And then we come to a text like this, and Jesus says, yes, I'll show you how to become great in God's society. But he shows us an altogether different road. And this is a key thing for the Christian person to hear. That the values of this world are not the values of God's kingdom. The rules that govern this society 
are not necessarily the rules that govern God's society. In Jesus' day, secular rulers, not unlike rulers in our day, secular rulers are quick to assert their authority over others. They're quick to point out who's in charge. Those who had status in Jesus' day made sure you knew their status and made sure you addressed them according to that status. That's first century culture. But it's not all that different from 21st century culture here in Nassau. But this is what Jesus says. This is the way the secular rulers deal with you. But Jesus says, not so with you. Not so with you. Jesus outlines the way things are. And he says, not so with you. In order to indicate that we're meant to be different. Followers of Jesus are intended to be counter-cultural in this regard. That is to say, whatever status has been assigned to us, whatever authority has been given to us, whatever resources have been entrusted to us, Jesus wants us to use these things for the benefit of other people. You might remember my definition of humility from a few weeks ago. Humility is the exertion of energy and it's the investment of resources for the benefit of others. Humility is the exertion of energy and it's the investment of resources for the benefit of others. So greatness, according to the kingdom standard, according to Jesus' standard, is not measured by what we possess, but rather greatness is measured by what we give up. Jesus says in verse 44, whoever wants to become great, whoever wants to become successful, whoever wants to win, must first be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave, last of all. That's not the way we do things here in Nassau, is it? But that's the way it's designed to work out in God's society. Now there are many people who I've heard say of the Bahamas that this is a Christian nation. That the Bahamas is a Christian nation. And it's not my intention to dispute that claim here today. I don't want to argue for or against that. But I do want to suggest this. That any claim to be a Christian nation must be accompanied by a determination by every Christian citizen to live the way Christ did. To say that we are a Christian nation is to say that we will live as Christ lived. Which begs the question, how did he live? What kinds of things was this Jesus marked by? Well, we have a parallel passage for Mark 10, and it's found in Luke chapter 22. And Jesus makes an analogy to describe his role in society, or his role in this particular advent. In Luke 22, verse 27, Jesus asks a question. He asks, who is greater, 
The one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is not the one who is greater the one who is at the table? And then listen to what Jesus says. Jesus says, I am among you as one who serves. Jesus is not sitting at the table waiting for us to serve him. We are at the table being served by Christ. The Son of God, the second member of the Trinity, the King of creation, says to his followers, I am among you as one who serves. I'm your waiter. I'm your servant. This is what Christ says. Mark's version expands this. Chapter 10, verse 45. Jesus, as he makes this case for greatness through service, points to his own mission and to his own reason for being here. He says, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So often as we progress as a Christian, we're often tempted to say, well, I'm here to serve Jesus. I'm here to serve Jesus. But Jesus himself says, don't serve me. I didn't come to be served. I came to serve you. Jesus came to this earth 2,000 years ago to serve us. He came ready to serve us, ready to redeem us. And accordingly, followers of Jesus must be regularly engaged in the service of others. So Jesus came to this earth. He didn't want to be served. He wanted to serve others. And so we who follow in his footsteps should not be in a position where we're always sitting at the table, waiting for someone to do things for us. But we as followers of Christ come as those ready to serve. I don't know about you, but I find the analogy of the dinner table to be very, very compelling. I think some of you are aware that I have this probably unhealthy fixation with food. And I love to dine out. I don't dine out as much as you might think. But I do love to go out for dinner. I mean, think about it. it it's a nice thing to have someone come along and say, Good evening, can I pour you a drink? Oh, here's a basket of warm bread and here's some butter and joy. Oh, here's some olive oil as well. I mean, it's nice to have someone cook your meal, prepare your meal, deliver your meal. Then they come along and they clean up the mess for you. If we're honest with ourselves, we would be quick to admit that it's nice to have someone serve you, isn't it? And then along comes Jesus. And he says, I'm among you as one who serves. So for the follower of Christ, this begs the question of each and every Christian. Whom are you serving? Whom are you serving? Don't answer Jesus, because Jesus said, I came not to be served, but to serve. So we have to ask the question, whom are we serving? And I want you to think beyond your immediate family. I want you to think beyond your best friends. 
Think beyond your employer and what he or she pays you to do. Think beyond that. Whom are you serving? Perhaps a better question would be this. Whom would Jesus be serving if he were here? Whom would Jesus be serving if he were in Nassau? Who would have his attention? Who would he be exerting energy for? Who would he be investing resources in? And if you can answer that question, you've just identified our mission and your mission. Begs a follow-up question. How shall our service be marked? What should our service to others look like? What should characterize it? And again, we look to Jesus and we have our answer. Yes, Jesus healed people of sickness. Yes, Jesus fed hungry people. Yes, Jesus washed the disciples' dirty feet. But when Jesus taught about greatness, when Jesus taught his followers about what it means to serve... He talked about what? He talked about his death. Of all the ways in which Christ served others, the thing that he highlighted above the rest was that he would give his life as a ransom for many. Well, I'm not suggesting that we all need to go find something to die for or someone to die for. We'd have a rather small congregation if we all took on some kind of martyr syndrome and went about separate ways giving our life. But I do want to suggest that if Christ's primary service was dying for us, then it's fair to say that our service to others ought to cost us something. That our service to others ought not to be an easy thing. Not something that we could readily do. But just as Christ needed the help of the Father, the strength of the Holy Spirit to die for us, so we too, to serve as Christ did, will need help. We'll need help because to serve as Christ did means it cost us something. Jesus points to his death and we should think about our own service and we should understand that if we're to serve as Christ served, it's going to mean sacrifice. It's going to mean there's a cost. Now I'm always mindful that when I speak for 20, 25 minutes, I am always worried that you might not remember very much because as I go home, I don't remember exactly everything I said. And so I try to think of a take home. If, if there is one thing you could remember, one thing you could take home from this message, I want to give you this. Live below your status. Live below your status. Let's just admit that a society has assigned us a place. At a particular point in our personal history, society looks at us and has us positioned in a particular way, according to where we're from, what we do, how much money we make, and so on. I'm not saying that's a good thing. This is just the reality of living in the 21st century. But as I hear Jesus speak into the culture and speak into our context, I hear him saying this, 
because you will be investing in others and exerting energy for others, it's going to force you to live below that status. Well, do we have any example of this? On what basis, Bryn, are you saying that I should live below the status that society has given to me? Well, think about Jesus. Think about Jesus and his eternal status as the Son of God, the second member of the Trinity, the King of creation. I think we would all agree if we believe in God, we believe in Jesus as God's Son, he is the highest status in the universe. Well, did Jesus live below his status? Well, certainly he did. The Son of God washed people's feet. I have never washed another person's feet. Well, that's not true. I guess when Anya was a baby, I washed her feet. But that's different. That's not icky, the way it would be to wash an adult's foot. But that's what Jesus did. The eternal Son of God washed feet. In Jesus' day, lepers were outcasts. They had to live on the periphery of society. Well, Jesus spent time with lepers. He healed them, in fact. He touched them, in fact, which made him unclean. He lived below his status. Jesus dined with so-called sinners, misfits, the, the people who were looked upon uh, with disdain in society. Jesus went to their place for dinner on a regular basis. Jesus lived b below his status. And finally, we have the king of creation submitting himself to death at the hands of those he created and at the hands of those he came to save. Jesus lived below his status. And friends, this is why I don't think we should be striving to climb higher. Now, I'm not saying throw every tennis match. I'm not saying that I'm going to be trying to let in a bunch of goals on Wednesday night. That's not what I'm saying. But Jesus clearly demonstrates for us a measure of humility which pays no regard to the rules of society that place us in a certain position. Live below your status. I think we should be making every attempt to stoop lower and lower because Jesus tells us that true greatness, true success is found in being a servant. Now, it was at this point in my preparation of this sermon that I said to myself in my study, Oh no. And I said, Oh no, because a light went on in this little brain of mine about the implications of what I was saying and writing on this page. I began to think through how things typically go in the McPhail household. The things that I do and the things that are done for me. And I see that there is a glaring void. There are many ways in which I do not serve as I ought. I'm not as good of a servant in my home as I ought to be. And there's a very good chance that Ali has been taking copious notes during this message and has a long list for me to present in about an hour. It, think it through. I mean, I'm, I'm not just trying to be clever here. We probably don't have to look any further than our own household to look for opportunities for us to serve another person, to live below our status. Take it into the workplace. 
where there might be rigid rules uh, about uh, the employee hierarchy and who's the boss or the partner or the owner. But the rules of Jesus should be applied there. Live below your status. Don't always be the boss. Serve those who, who society is positioned below you. As I think about how things work at the curb, I see many, many areas where I can be more of a servant than I currently am. So the question I asked earlier, if Jesus were here, whom would he be serving? I'm hugely challenged by that question. And I think you might be challenged by it as well. Because Jesus, the eternal Son of God, lived below his status. And you know, there's a good chance that's why society didn't recognize him. You'll remember reading the New Testament, there were a great many people who did not recognize Jesus as the coming Messiah, as the Son of God. And I wonder if it's because the people expected a Messiah who would come in power and would exercise power. But instead there is a baby born in a manger, raised as a carpenter's son, a family of humble means. Could it be that Jesus, because he lived so below his eternal status, they did not recognize him as the coming king? They did not expect someone who would give up power in order to usher in the kingdom. Now I've made a few statements about Bahamian society this morning and, and I need to be careful doing so because I've lived here a very brief period of time. But if I'm wrong on any of this, you can just pull me aside or send me an email or a text, whatever makes you feel good. But I, I think these are things that we would all agree on. And I've got one more. Bahamian society expects the church to be asserting itself forcefully. Bahamian society expects the church to be asserting itself forcefully. How do I know this? I just track with the Christian council. I'm not a member of the Christian council, but I read the news, I read their statements. They're often called to make a statement on particular issues to be representative for the people. The Bahamian society expects the church to assert itself forcefully. But I want to suggest that we're not called to do this. We're not called to assert ourselves forcefully at all. We're called to follow Christ. We're called to follow His example. And His example is this. To exert our energy and to invest our resources for the benefit of other people. The church should live below her status. And this is not a pie-in-the-sky concept, but this is something we can go home and apply today in our homes, that we can apply tomorrow in our workplace, that we can apply next Sunday in our church or in our community. I want to urge you, not only this morning, but every day, to stoop low. Stoop as low as you can as Jesus did. I urge you above all else to be a servant as Jesus was. Amen.